Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Top of the morning there, or evening or afternoon, whenever you're listening, my name is Christopher Francis Sweeney. Top of the morning, my name is William Robert Young. Welcome to Homo Sapiens. Episode six, week six. How you feeling there? I'm feeling really happy. I feel we've slightly <laughs> infiltrated a lot of mainstream shows. We have. You know? It's been a so big like, week. We went on the media show. We went on Sky News. Yeah. Uh, we've been in loads of mainstream media and we started this because we didn't feel our topics were really... I mean, they're always kind of side topics, weren't they? They were mm. never given the time. So I quite like the fact that with this podcast, we've actually done so much mainstream press. And, and I, not and marginalised, it's nice. It's, we, exactly, we're not marginalised. Yeah, so we'd like to say week six, welcome to our new listeners. We'd like to say hi to them and sort of recap what this show's about. It's current affairs from an LGBTQ plus perspective, sort of always focusing on one guest. Yes, welcome. Welcome to our listeners. Please listen to previous um, interviews because they're all really, I, don't, I just think they're brilliant people. This one coming up, by the way. Oh. Do we say it every week? This is our favourite. Yeah, but this week is my favourite now. This week is about LGBT sex workers. We've got Alex Bryce, who runs a scheme called National Ugly Mugs, which enables sex workers to let each other know about people who are being violent to uh, other sex workers in the local area. And it's done incredible work. Just the whole debates that sex workers are kind of faced with now, to me, so parallel to the debates in the 60s or whatever, around whether homosexuality should be criminalised or not. 50% of sex workers are identified as LGBTQ+. Yeah, I um, thought that was really interesting. So we've got Carmen, who's a trans woman, who is a sex worker, who likes to call herself a part-time lover. I loved that. Many of the men never have sex with. Yeah, it was very right. sad because yeah. many of them are very, very handsome and I wanted to have sex. <laughs> and the guy didn't want to sex. He just wanted for me to watch a, a football game. And we've got Josh, who is Britain's number one rent boy. I'm yeah. having sex. I'm going to the best locations. I'm yeah. enjoying a part of that multi-millionaire lifestyle. So I'm enjoying that. And I get a, a very good lifestyle myself as well. All of us sat around the table and discussed what it means to be a sex worker and an LGBTQ plus sex worker in 2017. I think they all seemed 
to me very empowered and thought they were three brilliant pioneering characters actually mm. in their own right yeah it's a really funny chat as well like is it Carmen that said she's the United Nations of um, <laughs> spreading love or something like that I'm a United Nations sex ambassador <laughs> <laughs> yeah. it's just brilliant coming up is Chris's conversation with Alex Carmen and Josh and singer and actor Will Young is here. He's launched a podcast. We come to you riding high on breaking into the BBC Woman's yeah. Hour studio yeah. Yeah. last week. So we had to go into Radio 4 to do the media show with Amal Rajan. Will, good to see you. What's it called? It's called Homo Sapiens. And they put us in the green room, but it was actually the green room for Woman's Hour. Yeah. Cut to... Will handcuffs himself to a sofa and says, I'm not leaving until we've got an interview slot. Yeah. Jenny, Marie, Jenny, Give Marie. us a J, give us an E, yeah. give us an N, give us an N, give us an I. What have we got? Woman's I think I said I was her illegitimate son at one stage. You did. Um, it was like that bit in Mystic River when they hold Sean Penn back. <laughs> <laughs> and what did we lock down? Women's Hour. A slot on the show. We stormed in. I felt like Fathers for Justice. Um, <laughs> no. Homos for Justice. Give us a place on the show, you... We're queer, we're here, get used yeah, to it. you bastards. Mm. And they said, yeah, all right then. And we were like, give us a place... Oh, all right, that was easy. Yeah. Oh, I'd love a tea, thanks. Yeah. They were lovely in the office. They were so lovely. Yeah. And they came in and said, oh, you've got to come on and we'll come on your podcast. So that would be a dream... It would genuinely be a dream come true. Should we play out what our Instagram story is this is yeah this is us breaking into the BBC Women's Hour studio um well we're not supposed to be here I've said no we're in the Women's Hour office this is a very excited man we're in the Women's Hour office (laughs) Women's Hour inspired our podcast (laughs) it did hello Women's Hour team we're not leaving chain me chain me (laughs) the bit when you um started answering the phone in their office was my (laughs) favourite Hello, Woman's Hour. <laughs> oh, of course you can have Homo Sapiens on. Okay, bye. What was that? Of course you can have Homo Sapiens on. <laughs> <laughs> Our heroes. Anyway, we locked it down. So, you know, considering they inspired our podcast, what a great day that was. So how do you describe this podcast? Um, foolish. <laughs> Quite tough questions, I thought we got on the media show. We did. And what evidence do you guys have that there is a big audience out there that wants this kind of product? The listeners. <laughs> I was just, I was having a lot of fun. Yeah, So I wasn't perhaps prepared for being drilled by Amal. Well, Chris, thank you very much indeed, and good luck. Would you like us to sing the theme tune? Um, I think we've got about 10 seconds left, so we might save that. We'll save that for the Media Show podcast. Do you know what? We've had such great feedback to the Peter Tatchell interview. People really responded to it. Hmm. It's also been our highest rating episode. I think that's interesting because Peter... Still doesn't have charity status. Mm. Yet it shows how popular and he is and how much people must relate to his story. So I'm just pushing him for a knighthood, aren't I? He needs one. And please, people, do support the Peter Tatchell Foundation because he really does run it Mm. on a shoestring and and he doesn't get grants because he's not a registered charity. So please post him all your shoestrings to... (laughs) What's his address? We've had a really sweet email from Sean Martin that I will forward to Peter Tatchell himself, but it is, Hi boys, if Peter Tatchell ever needs a free weekend retreat for some peace, tell him to email my husband and I. We're often on holiday through the year. Sounds like he could use a break in the countryside. Oh my God, that is so nice. He'd have to feed two adorable cats. Great podcast so far from Sean and Chris. 
That is very, very generous. Mm. And um, I wonder if Peter doesn't take them up on the offer. Enter stage left. <laughs> Chris and Will. Hi, boys. Hi. So where are these cats? Don't yeah, I was going to say the dogs don't like cats. Maybe they could do like love home swap and they could live in Peter's house while he lives in theirs. I think that home is very specific to Peter's needs. We had an email from someone actually saying, Will, I've been uh, a fan of your career since you did American Idol. American Idol. Oh, but you did go on American Idol, so actually maybe that's what they meant. Yes, twice. twice. Oh, I thought it was because yeah. he'd got it wrong. Second time, well, actually both times no one gave a shit. Really? Um, no, once we were, I was doing interviews and someone thought I was the runner. Really? Yeah, so I just said I was. I got them some coffee. And then Faye said, what are you doing? I was like, I don't really know. <laughs> What's he when I got them a coffee? I got them a coffee. Yeah. We have had some listeners reaching out saying you're really lacking the L of LGBTQ+. Yes. And it's underrepresented. Now, we know that. We feel that that's been the case. But you know what? You dial Sue Perkins, you dial Santa Toxic. <laughs> they don't... They, we, no, we Ruth have, Davidson. Yeah. We have contacted a load of gay women, actually, yes. to be on the show. We yeah. just, they haven't been free. No. And that's nothing to do with us or them. No, it is not for want of trying. And so on that sort of thorny topic, and I'd really like to hear from our gay female listeners, because two gay men sitting here talking about it, it's probably not the answer. But Rary Mosey, which must be Mary Rosie, uh, contacted us on Instagram talking about lesbian bed death, which we were talking about last week. And she said, it's real. We become best friends too quickly. So we become very intimate, but the desire and mystery fades. You know, interesting to hear a gay female perspective there. Um, I'm sure there's lots more. And we really, really would like to hear from all of our gay female listeners. We had a great email from a man called Nate. And he said how much he loves the podcast. And he said, I was super thrilled to find that my guilty crush, Owen Jones, was on the first show. Any guilty crushes that you have? So we had to throw that open to Twitter. We've um, had some hilarious comments. Oh yeah, go on. Phil Spencer from Location, Location, Location. He's just a crush. Oh, my God. So my first proper boyfriend, Connor, yeah. loved Phil Spencer. Really? And then, did you ever do this? And you find out your partner has a crush on someone, guilty crush. I then would look at myself in the mirror and go, oh, yes. do I look like Phil Spencer then? Yes, yes. Maybe I do a little bit. You don't look anything like really? Phil Spencer. The jewel. Same coats. How dare you? <laughs> I Same. do not wear a mohair coat. Phil Spencer and Kirsty Allsop occupy such a place in my heart that is so close. I love them both. I ran, I told you, didn't I? I ran after her. Did you? I ran out of a restaurant, ran after her, tripped up. She thought she was being mugged. <laughs> really? Yeah. Honest, honest, true story. Really? Yeah. Did she take out one of those alarms? She went, oh, whoosh, mace in face. <laughs> I just wanted to say I love That's you. That's your dinner. <laughs> Did you did you get to talk to her? Yeah, she was a, I, she was lovely, but also rather shocked. I bet. So a couple of people talking about Bowie actually. Jane P saying David Bowie. I think I was about ten years old and thought, what a wonderful weirdness is this. He was a real lifeline, wasn't he, to LGBT people all over the world. He would be this queer, strange person on posters in kids' bedrooms in parts of the world that were not down with. LGBT stuff at all so he really helped a lot of people with feeling different yes feeling different and being himself and he came out as bisexual I mean at a time that no one would really do that particularly a pop star he dressed in sort of bikinis lycra all these kind of things mm. and looked feminine and masculine it's by my holiday wardrobe I know that much <laughs> and we'll have more of your guilty crushes coming up later on 
So I am I'm flying solo today. Coming up now is Chris's conversation talking about LGBT sex workers. I'm off to meet Alex who runs a thing called National Ugly Mugs, which is a group where sex workers can help each other identify dangerous people who are hiring them and attacking them. Uh, he's done some amazing stuff. This is a really interesting interview. You're this excited, is- aren't you? I can tell. Yes! Yay! Um, get off me, I'm presenting. And he is bringing with him Carmen, who is a trans sex worker, and Josh, who is gay male sex worker. This is a really interesting interview. Alex, Josh and Carmen talking about LGBT sex workers. We've got Josh with us, who is an award-winning male escort because you were male escort of the year, is that right? Yeah, it's going back a bit now. It was 2011, but I'm still doing my thing. And we've got Carmen with us, who is a former part-time lover. Yes, which indeed. Is, which is what you would describe... Because you don't like the term sex worker, do you? Which I'm not surprised, because it's about a lot more than that. Exactly. And I'm a United Nations sex ambassador (laughs) who enjoy having sex with many, many men. So, Alex, you run National Ugly Mugs. Um, Just tell me a little bit about that first. So we support um, sex workers when they're victims of crime, which unfortunately happens quite frequently. Sex workers are targeted by dangerous individuals who uh, know that it's unlikely they'll report to the police, so target that vulnerability. And we provide warnings to sex workers about people to avoid, but also support them in reporting to the police. But we also advocate for you know, sensible legislation, decriminalisation, mm. and for improved policing. And we're here to talk about sex work and all the things that you cover, Alex, but from an LGBT plus perspective. But tell me, how yeah. did it all start for you? Well, for me, a um, bit of a weird entry into this world of work. I used to work in Parliament. Mm-hmm. Um, I was a political advisor. I was a parliamentary candidate for the Labour Party. Um, so I had a very direct career in politics. But I think throughout the time of working in politics, I sort of became quite disillusioned. So I actually saw this job advertised um, and, you know, as a job to set up this project funded by the Home Office, which was really interesting. Sex workers are often targeted by offenders, like rapists, you know, violent people, robbers. And the main reason why they are targeted is not because it's inherently unsafe or harmful, contrary to what some people say, it's because the offenders know that they probably won't report to the police mm-hmm. um, because they don't trust the police and the police arrest them and things like that. Um, and parts of their work are criminalised. So throughout the world, they had these local information sharing like schemes, they were called ugly mugs, and that was the colloquial term to describe an offender who is a danger to sex workers. So uh, the job description was basically to come to post to set up a, a UK-based national, um, but really formal information sharing system where sex workers can report crimes if they don't want to report to the police, and we can then send out warnings to other sex workers saying, look, avoid this this guy or whatever, mm. avoid this individual. We estimate sort of fifteen to 20,000 sex workers benefit from what we do, so it's quite big scale. Because Ugly Mugs, for example, is for all sex workers, right? But when you're talking about being marginalised, you know, like, I think it's really interesting when you look back over history that there's that kind of feeling of people who are marginalised, there's a lot of mystery around them and people don't understand, and it just... All those things that you're saying just reminds me of how people used to be about gay people or transgender. It just is like this ball of prejudice. What do you find in your job, specifically for LGBT 
is it different or is that me simplifying it? No, it's totally true. I mean, I think the two things parallels there. I think one is just the whole debates that sex workers are kind of faced with now, uh, to me, so parallel to the debates in the 60s or whatever around whether homosexuality should be criminalised or not. So you've got people saying um, now, still, today, and often people who are Labour people, sometimes people who are feminists, saying sex workers might say that you know they're choosing to do what they do but they're wrong they've got false consciousness so they're kind of not aware of their own actions mm. and you know sex work is ultimately inherently harmful mm. and then there's this whole thing about exploiting which is a lot of the narratives that are going on around you know about homosexuality mm. I think that's one thing there's a real parallel to the debates mm. like we did some research and about more than 50% of sex workers identified in that research as LGBT or T um, How many? More than 50%. Wow. So, so you had a lot, I mean, there were quite a few people identifying as bi, um, but, you know, the vast majority of um, male sex workers at least are selling sex to men. So even if they're not identifying as gay, although most of them do, it's just, uh, you know, having sex with men. Mm. Um, so LGBT plus is really important in sex work. Mm. And I think within the big really well-funded LGBT organisations like Stonewall, like the now, I think it's LGBT Foundation in Manchester, sex worker rights just don't come onto the agenda, even though a significant proportion of sex workers are LGBT+. Plus. Mm. And that's really frustrating because they have the clout, you know, with mm. government and stuff. There was a, I don't know if you heard about, um, Remboy.com is a, like a male escort advertising site in the They've US. got shut down. They've got shut down. And to mm. me, that was kind of the collision of homophobia and anti-sex work sentiment um, and the guy who ran the website I think was convicted essentially of pimping you know and he wasn't pimping at all he was providing sex with the platform to advertise safely and so I think homophobia and anti-sex work sentiment kind of comes together sometimes and I think mm. um, the LGBT community should be supportive of sex workers particularly given that you know, in the Stonewall riots, which obviously kick-started the, the whole gay liberation movement, the person who threw the first brick at the police, not condoning that, <laughs> was, uh, although sometimes I feel like doing it, yeah, um, was a transgender sex worker. And many mm. of the, like, pioneers of Stonewall, um, like Sylvia Rivera, etc., were funding their activism through sex work. And for you guys, what do you think when you hear this? For me, it's like I go about my life, I'm a business person as far as I'm concerned. Mm. I sell sex, mm. I've owned several businesses, and that's my product, that's my service. So for me, that mentality isn't there. I look at that and I just think, well, what the hell? Like, if, mm. you, if you really understand my life, you wouldn't think those things. Do you think that people will ever seek to understand it more? I think there's an interest in it, but I think it's more of a curiosity about almost like a dark kind of world that they imagine. Mm. Like it's some kind of mysterious thing. But it's really not. I mean, I had a client earlier today mm. and we literally sat on my couch, drank tea and chatted for about two hours. And that was what his preference was. That's what he was interested in doing and mm. companionship kind of thing. Mm. Um, but then, I mean, the other night I had a client in one of the big hotels in London, I won't say which one. Mm. Um, and he had a bodyguard. Just avoid. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm joking. It wasn't actually, it was the next one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, he had like bodyguards all around him. There was champagne flowing. There was money, you know. Every, I literally, t I had to tell him to put his money away because he had stacks of fifty pound notes all over the table. One client to the next, sitting mm. on a couch having a cup of tea, mm. or in 
the Dorchester, I can say that anyway. I love my life, so I don't really care what people <laughs> mm. say about it, to be honest. Some of the, the sort of radical feminists I was talking about would look at that and say that Josh is being exploited. Oh yeah, I'm, I'm but clinically insane or something because really, I, I live like, my life the way I, I enjoy. <laughs> yeah, and really to me, like, you're getting the best part of that deal, you know what I mean? Like, yeah. I'm yeah. having sex, I'm going to the best locations, I'm yeah. enjoying a part of their lifestyle, which I couldn't, I couldn't even afford their multi-millionaire lifestyle. Mm. So I'm enjoying that and I get a, a very good lifestyle myself as well. Mm. <laughs> Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. There's a thing about, it's cartoony to make it demonise it. And so, well, that's that. And it's an underbelly situation. And therefore, that's what happens. And I think it's just not looking deeply enough or conflating it with human trafficking. Yeah, mm-hmm. I don't think they're thinking enough about it, really. They're just thinking, oh, that's bad. Like, black or white. It's just, that's bad. This is good. It's that kind of thinking. I don't think they've really thought, well, actually, there are some people that enjoy having sex and they enjoy making mm. money and they combine the two and mm. they're happy in their life, you know, that's that's one side of it. Mm. And of course there is trafficking and um, that's, obvi- I mean, that's basically slavery. Of course that has to come to an end, but you can't mm. call it that. Exactly. Completely separate things. The example I've given is like, is comparing selling heroin on a street corner mm. to children who don't understand and and selling drugs in a pharmacy to make people better. Because in one sense, you know, the escorts, they they provide a service, there's a mutual benefit, and um, both people are consenting adults. And then on the other darker side, which is a completely different industry altogether, and it's a dark, murky thing, people are forced to do something they don't want to do, mm-hmm. and forced usually to give up the money that they would be making themselves, and it's mm-hmm. not something that they uh, want to do it all anyway, so if that has to end, mm. but they have to be separated, completely separate things. How does one go about separating them? There's very small amounts of human trafficking that goes on in brothels, but most of those brothels, most decent brothels, as it by decent I mean ones that are run by sex workers or run by people who are there, you know, not to coerce anyone, wouldn't allow underage people, wouldn't allow traffic people wouldn't allow even people with you know um not the right immigration papers they can be quite strict and i think if you if you conflate sex work and trafficking um and therefore raid brothels you know indiscriminately then you destroy the channels of communication between the people Mm. um who are in the the 
or you know, in the sort of maids in the brothels or sex workers in the brothels that would actually tell the police if someone came to them that they thought was underage or needed rescuing mm-hmm. in inverted commas. And and those channels of communication really need to be kept open so that mm. sex workers have somewhere to go if if they need support or help. And that's the problem because it's pushed deeper underground then. And I've always like when I give escorts advice, if they're just starting out, I say get on social media. Put yourself out there, join the National Ugly Mug, sign up to that. Put yourself public in the light because people are less likely to uh, pick you as a target because they know they might not get away with it, basically. Do you feel, Josh, being a gay escort, that you're at more risk or...? No, I don't think. Um, and in terms of stigma as well, I think females definitely get much more stigma for it. I think as a male, it's... It's just slightly, well, yeah, I think it's much more socially acceptable, actually, as a male. Right or wrong, you know, it it is just, it seems the way it is. And at risk, no, I don't feel that way as a gay escort. I think as long as you're public and as long as you're out there, as long as people know that you are in the light and you're not on the street corner, then they would hesitate to make you a target. Like Alex was saying, the people that are targeted as sex workers are because they are perceived to be vulnerable. They're perceived to be... um, as, as they perceived as if they, they would not go to the police mm. in fear of their own safety or their own like legal status. Mm. But if you're out there and you're, you know, on, on social media, you're all over the internet, this kind of thing, which I, I just think is so important because you're much, much less likely to be targeted. The risk for many people is that, uh, for, for street workers, it comes because normally when you work over the phone, and online, you learn to judge oh, by a person voice. Really? A person yeah. will call me, and I straight away I know it's a time waster, mm-hmm. they will not pay me nothing, or it's a, or it's a criminal. So I judge them straight away. So, and actually, I'm normally right. Yeah, 100% totally. normally right. It's a man who will come and give me a terrible time, or horrible sex. Mm. Or, and you think, oh no, I'll give him a chance. And then yes. he turns up, be like, oh, I knew I shouldn't have. I think the challenge for, um, sex workers who might have less control of the situations if they are street-based sex workers they might have drug and alcohol addictions yeah um and if you've got like police enforcement in the area they're pushed underground then it reduces the choice they have mm. so that's one of the reasons why criminalization even of the clients of sex workers disempowers yes. sex workers because clients are wary some clients you know there's less choice of clients some might not and why should uh, my clients be criminals it's almost like the politicians have everything they do has the opposite effect almost mm. uh, looking at it from, as an escort then all the laws they try and do is is all about trafficking human trafficking but um they're not focusing on people that need help on the streets if there's street sex workers that maybe are british people that just need to well, should really be in a house working. Like I agree with right. that. They should be in a house working where they're in a safe environment. Perhaps um, they can pay for it themselves. They can have a button on the wall that links to a police station if need mm. be. But the very fact that they would be in an address and a house, mm. they would be safer in any case. Anyway, they wouldn't be on the streets. There would be a digital trace because they're now online advertising mm. instead of on the street corner advertising where no one knows where the hell they are. I think uh, one of the reasons uh, it doesn't work is because criminalizing a sex work and giving a criminal record, it, it's not good for her. The idea to work with sex workers is to encourage them to, to give up what they're doing to move into a different career. So you have to get engaged with them mm-hmm. a lot 
allow them to change their career slowly and come out from what they do. Mm. If a person get an education and have a criminal record and want to move, let's say she wants to be a nurse, mm. goodbye to the nurse career yeah, because she already has a criminal mm. record. That's the thing about the politicians, so everything is counterproductive. You can't you criminalize cis work and make all the cis workers criminals and not allow them to move on and come out from the, the, the deep hole, the government thing that they live in. And being a cis worker doesn't mean you live in a deep hole and you, and you don't look good because at the end of the day, I never consider myself like that. Mm. But some of the girls who you found in the street, some of the girls that are being pimping, some of the girls who are victims of human trafficking, I think all this um, criminalizing uh, the sex industry, no matter men, female, transgender, it, it, it is wrong. And it should be everyone's right to do whatever exactly. the hell yeah. they please, quite frankly, unless they're hurting other people. When we're talking now, and what you just said there is that I don't, I don't like being called a sex worker, and I like to be called a part-time lover, and then, you know, some people call it an escort, it really reminds me of that conversation 30 years ago about when you were gay, so what do I call you, you know, mm-hmm. and what do I, like, people don't know what to say, and it's, Interesting, isn't it? Because it's, it's subjective as well. Because mm. I, I find like some people are fine with rent boy, escort, sex worker, you know, all of these different terms. I think it's quite subjective to well, the person. Mm. Me too. I, I, I can be okay with every fan. But oh, I, 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 just, I just, I just, I just, just the sex work it didn't work for me because I was a bachelor lover and I was mm. a, a wife mm. uh, because I, I actually called my uh, my client's husbands mm-hmm. and, and that's how I, <laughs> I treat them because I wanted to, the, the majority of clients that came to me, it was uh, many of the men I never have sex with. It was very right. sad because yeah. many of them are very, very handsome and I wanted to have sex. <laughs> and the guy didn't want to sex, he just wanted for me to watch uh, a football game, go out and dine and I was, uh, I'm exhausted, I don't want to dine, I want to have sex. <laughs> But it didn't happen sometimes, so... That's what I've got against that term. It's like, well, I don't have sex all the time, so Mm. you can't call it that. Exactly. And I think what the whole nation and every country in the world needs to understand is uh, sex workers, we are very important out there in this society because we bring happiness to many men who are lonely. Disabled clients, those people that literally... You know, from society, they're ostracized in the sense of sexual fulfillment. They they don't have access to, to that side of life. And literally the only option they have, um, unfortunately, is to call up a sex worker. Mm-hmm. And for me, that's like the best clients I can get. Even if, you know, there's ones that tip thousands and all of that stuff. But I mean, to have a client that is like disabled and literally, you know, you're fulfilling a need, which is so important mm. and natural. That's an, an amazing feeling. A lot of the uh, like the debates when it comes to activism about sex work and sex workers' rights, a lot of the people who are against sex workers' rights try and flip it and say, you know, that the whole thing is about a man's right to have sex with whoever they want, <sighs> um, which is really problematic because, like as Josh said, like what Josh was just talking about, it wasn't that the disabled people necessarily have a right to have sex, but if someone consensually wants to make money from providing that and wants that as their business and they've got a right to offer that, you know? Mm. And it's mutually beneficial, no one gets hurt, so what's the problem? I've had clients which have literally said to me, if I didn't meet you, I, I don't know what my life would have become. Mm. You know, and they, they are getting something very important. And what about the, the lesbian community? Because it's not something you hear about much yeah. at all. A lot of sex workers, female sex workers who have sex with men, mm. mostly, 
because there are there are female clients out there but mm. there's not loads at least but is that, that is that the of. case that there aren't a lot of women who want you know I have an Asian friend who's from Taiwan and he's actually a, a straight male escort in Taiwan but he says like out there like I think culturally or something it is more normal for a, um, a female to hire a male as an escort I think female sexuality generally is more stigmatised and mm. openness about it in the UK Victorian values and weird British attitudes <laughs> mm. to sex so I think there probably is a lot of secrecy over that when it does happen but certainly a lot of female sex workers I know who sell sex to men predominantly do define as bi or lesbian and I think it's just just part of what they offer as a service I think culturally like social women aren't really socialized unfortunately to mm. be as open about sex mm. as, as men I mean mm. I remember when Sex in the City um, became popular and mm. like women and men were like, oh my God, these sluts talking about sex on TV and it's like, yeah, why not? Yeah. You know? mm. It's true. Isn't like, it? it was just bizarre that everyone mm. had such opposition to that. And I just think that's such a part of the mm. society. And what about the transgender community? Are there specifics with their situation that feels like it resonates? Because it, it feels like, you know, the past few years, people like my mum are understanding, not my mum is an open-minded, brilliant woman, but like it's, she understands the issues of being transgender and it feels like a light is shining there. Is that something you're seeing more or? In my case, I am a transgender woman myself. Mm. We do, in the transgender community, when the trans women do come uh, and fall into the industry, or one entered into the industry because they want to have surgery. But uh, at the beginning, I, I, I fall well. I, I, I was battling with cancer. Mm. So I decided I didn't want to, to, to wait for uh, uh, INHS or, or the Spanish uh, hospital care to deal with my cancer. I wanted to pray privately. So I work, even when I have cancer, I work, I work as an escort right. to pay my cancer treatment. What um, kind of cancer did you have? Ovarian. Really? Testicular cancer. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So ovarian cancer for a trans woman. That's ovarian cancer. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So um, can you beat I, it? Yes, I beat it. Um, but then after that, I start working again, and then is when I realized uh, if I was going, if I'm going to come out from the sex industry, I, I had to move very fast. I had to finish what I started and finish my transition because that's what I, that was my goal. You cannot transition if you want to make money completely. You need to have that extra part. Meaning you need to have your penis. If you have no penis, you make no money. Because they want, a, they want a woman with a penis. Yes, yeah. they do. That is what they're looking for yes. when they talk to you. They do. But so you felt that in a way, by being a part-time lover, it was holding up your transition. Yes. In my case, it was personal. Uh, since I was a child, it was what I wanted. Since I was a very little person, it was what I wanted. And it was a battle with me. Uh, it was a fight with myself. And when I did it, it was the best thing I've done. I decided I I'm going to start working because um, I'm not going to give uh, my private parts to anybody just for any coin, no. Mm. I'd rather keep it for myself. You are no longer a part-time lover, is that correct? No, I am actually a pensioner now. <laughs> <laughs> I've retired. No, um, no, no longer a part-time lover, but that was my choice. But I have no regrets, and if uh, I have the chance, maybe in my future, and if that comes along, I will do it again, and, and it was a great experience. Mm. Well, exactly. That sounds like a good note to end on. Thank you, guys.
what incredible stuff they've all done and been through and I'd like to say thank you very much to those guys for taking the time to chat to us and we'd love to know what you thought about that conversation so please drop us a line and we'll go on go oh, on me, me, me. at the back so young wh- at the back where do they drop the line to sorry oh you can get in touch by twitter at will young hashtag homo sapiens or you can email us hello at homo sapiens podcast.com and uh, yes again at oh, the back question yeah. sir yeah um so we always get an, an an edit as you know and i was having my car wash so i sat in the car wash listening to the edit mm. and i was genuinely fascinated mm. the thing that Thanks. i liked the most was the kind of normalization of what it is yes it's a job yeah totally. you know? and, and then the lack of correct. support and uh I thought they were all really erudite, really funny. Mm. You know, I really felt like I I learned something new. Um, I felt very proud, actually. And then I got them to do a second hoover of the inside of the car. <laughs> did you go for a buff and a shine on the car as well? I did, and then someone pointed out that my exhaust was falling off. Oh, that's annoying. Yeah. Don't want to hear back. And then someone asked me if I was Will Smith. <laughs> I said, not last time I checked. You did grow up with your auntie and uncle in Bel Air, though, didn't you? <laughs> yes, I did. But we don't talk about that. No. Earlier we asked you, who was your first guilty crush? We had loads of responses. Oh, I've got them coming out my ears. Hasselhoff? The White Power Ranger. Okay. Go on. Well, I get that. Do you? Yeah, because they're in like, you know, um, quite skimpy outfits. Mm. It's reminding me now, I know who my guilty crush is. Who? Um, There were two, actually, in the same cartoon. Tigra. And Chitara. Yes. Both from Thundercats. Yes. So I used to pretend that I was Chitara. Uh She could run really quickly. Mm -hmm. And she had a stick that she could do stuff with. And boy, I've Um, seen you move. (laughs) I'm like a cat. And Tigra. He was just so hot. Because they had ripply muscles and, Mm. you know, and and bulges. And they were in lycra and they had superpowers. And occasionally you saw them topless. Tony Jackson says, I had a favourite waiter at a restaurant and we regularly used to visit that when I was about six. Um, my dad had a delivery guy called Graham Gardner and he was, in my head, the most handsome man in the world. Oh. And actually, weirdly, I think he informed my taste in partners, let's say, men, my whole life. I think that that was the first time I ever... That's very interesting. Mm. It's just making me think of all the people at school... The older boys that I had crushes on. Someone, Neville, and he ended up being... Gary. No, and I was thinking Gary Neville. And he ended up being a top model, and now he's one half of Rag and Bone. No. Yeah. So Googling if now. this gets to him, he was one of those guys, he was... Rag um, and Bone Clothing or Rag and Bone Man, the band? Rag and Bone Clothing. And I love <clears> the fact <throat> they're two straight guys... Marcus Wainwright and David Neville. David Neville. And then they set up this clothing range. Now they've got stores everywhere. They were the rugby boys at Wellington. That's so weird. I remember seeing them and just thinking, let's have a look if he's still good looking now. Yeah. Anyway, so those two. Did you find any pictures of them naked? No. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Before we go, please get in touch at Will Young on Twitter with the hashtag hashtag homo sapiens or i'm turning to jenny murray or email us hello at homo sapienspodcast.com we'll be reading out your messages on homo sapiens extra this friday yes thank you for getting in touch you are the life raft that keeps this boat afloat i don't even know what that means you are the sunshine of my life chris 
Well, that's why I'll always stick around until I get until I get a better offer and move to America. <laughs> Bong on the week that well last week when Big Ben got shut down. It's time for another sad ending. It's time for the end of this week's podcast. Oh, gosh. How do you feel? You say goodbye. And I, I say, say homo. <laughs> homo, homo. <laughs> These jingles just flow out of us, don't they? Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Powered by Spirit Studios.